Hey, hey, folks, and welcome to a Daily Rating Special. Yes, this week on the Daily Ratings, we are looking at the essential, the best of the best of Fred Astaire. In the last 100 years of cinema, Fred Astaire is still known as the greatest dancer in film. And in fact, not just for film, because Fred Astaire is regarded as the greatest popular music dancer of all time. He worked on Broadway, especially in his earlier years, and acted in TV and made four major television specials towards the end of his career. They garnered him many Emmy Awards also. But today, we're looking at Fred in film, because after more than 30 musicals and a dozen of them covered on the podcast, Vincent Daly is rating and reviewing Fred's essential and best films. So if you'd like to see and really get an idea of who Fred Astaire was and what just makes him the best, then take some time and watch these films. So it's going to be a great special, folks. Vince has done all the homework for us, so all we have to do is stay tuned and enjoy. Mr. Vincent Daly, we'll bring you in now. How are you doing? <laughs> doing my great. Friend, buddy boy. <laughs> doing great. I mean, talk about a, a week of movies about what I want to watch. You, know, <laughs> you were stepping. Opinion. You were tap, tap, tapping away this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, folks, let me, let me start off with a heartfelt thank you. This is a three-year project uh, running on the podcast. Yep. Um, longer, if you consider the Fred Astaire movies we did pre-podcast, but my work is shown uh, in uh, the, the three years of the podcast for Fred Astaire February, and uh, let me just say thanks for, if, if, you're, if you're listening, this ain't going to be doing good for the algorithm. Well, <laughs> we're we're oh. missing an easy punching bag oh, with boy. Adam Webb. <laughs> Which, I'll tell you what, we might have to watch just later in the year. <laughs> Yeah, because I am hearing terrible. Right, worse than Morbius. Yeah. Worse of the decade, I'm yeah, hearing. Yeah, uh, In film in general, yeah. <laughs> and on top of that as well, I mean, it, it's just, it's it's going to be something that people are going to have to seek out if they're really going to be attached to this. So, uh, folks, for the ongoing listeners, if you're in these few seconds before maybe click, clicking off the video, clicking off the podcast, uh, understand that, this is something I'm very passionate about and, and really hope to broaden horizons here uh, with uh, with these recommendations. Yeah, I really like the special. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think a lot of people – I hope people just click on it like you said. Sure, sure. Because I don't think – I mean people just aren't that interested if you're under the age of 83 <laughs> or something yeah. in, in, in Fred Astaire all that much. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is then you watch his numbers and it's it is – you don't get to see this on film a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People yeah. watch Ryan Gosling – on Lala in La La Land, mm, right, right, and they think that you know th- this is just something totally different. Exactly, and he is the a, best. He is the best of the best. Exactly, when it comes a whole to this different kind of stuff. caliber. Uh, I mean, the tap dancing in La La Land is a joke right. compared to <laughs> all four, I mean, all five of these uh, that we're going to be talking about. Right, and there's other movies that you know. I mean, people know Singing in the Rain and mm. stuff like that, but it's the fact that Fred is so consistent yep. and so widely considered. Like he's always given some of these top top performances constantly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what makes him the best. So I don't know. So we'll see. I don't know if people's interest is automatically into something like this, mm. but the history here and just the break, like I said, you did the homework. And <laughs> three, it's, and, <laughs> three years, and, plus years of homework. And it's great now that we have the best of the best. So if anybody is interested, and that's mm. the thing, I bet there's a lot of people that was just like, all right, I'll watch one or two. Let's see what Fred Astaire is all sure, about. Sure. At least you have a list here. Exactly. Where you know you're going to get something good. This is worth your time. All these are worth your time. It's, and yeah. uh, more importantly, I've done the, done the digging, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and this is really, you know, we, we've done the essential type of specials 
before. Uh, I'm hoping that this will be kind of a format as well as the podcast goes on and on that on the months that we dedicate to westerns or potentially like sci-fi or something like that, creating essential lists I want to become a little bit of a paper trail, a little bit of a breadcrumb to what we do on the, you know, the weekly podcast that then when the special comes out, this is kind of now the definitive list. And guess what? The proof is in the pudding. You can listen back to uh, the work we've both, you know, done to uh, right. to watch these films and analyze and really determine what is the best. So Yeah, it, it's a blast. I, these essentials are always a good time. Yeah, yeah. It, they're, they're great mile markers. They're great, easy to search for. Sure. You know, this is episode 122, but it's just... It's just easy to search for once when we start piling these up even more yeah. and more and more. Absolutely. For just usability factor. But okay, so we want to structure this just like a normal episode. I'll say you have one, two, three. So you have five main mm, uh, yes. ones. And not just because there's, there just are five. Right, right. You know, if there were six, there would have been six. If there was four, there would have been four. Uh, and then you also have an honorable mention in there, correct? Yes, I have one honorable mention that I just kind of put aside with it. Uh, but uh, the the five, they're going to be a little out of order. Uh, usually we do in chronological order uh, from the year of release. Uh, this is going to be <laughs> our first dip into maybe something a little bit trashy, but just kind of like a top five best Fred Astaire dance sequences. Yeah, a uh, ramp up. Yeah, exactly. Kind of going in uh, just just from you know position five to number one of all time. So yeah, you said some interesting just when we were kind of conceptualizing the the special mm -hmm. a little bit and saying what direction you kind of want to take it I'm, I'm excited to hear how you parcel film from the music numbers oh sure and are there some where the music numbers lack but you're actually getting the most story out of it mm. so then that's tough for you as far as where to place it number wise or something yeah because yeah. we all think of Fred for dancing he is known for dancing we think of the numbers mm. we YouTube the numbers mm -hmm. but at the same time you still got to sit down and watch an hour and a half two hour film yeah you know so you want there to be some sort of story going on there. right right Exactly. But as far as Fred goes, we'll just, you know, maybe just start off a little bit with him. He was born in 1899. Yep, yep. And his sister was the one that his mom and dad wanted to get into dancing. Mm -hmm. So as she was getting into dancing, Fred was kind of forced to kind of like be along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Also got into it a little bit. Wasn't about it at first, but was eventually pushed to it because mm -hmm. of his parents. And sure enough, they just took off. It was really him and his sister that took off at a really pretty young age as far as making the way through dance studios and mm. then actually getting into plays and then Broadway at a young age in the 20s. Yeah. He was yeah. already on Broadway with her. And then very much, I, it was fun to do the backup research on him. Uh-huh. And then watch one of the films that I did because sure. it almost follows exactly what actually happened in their actual life. Oh, really? Okay. So, but that's how Fred got. Fred started with his sister Adele. Yeah. And then she ended up marrying a lord, oh. and then kind of just getting away from the business. And Fred never got away from it. Yeah, yeah. And was married for a brief period until his wife tragically died mm -hmm. uh, from cancer, mm -hmm. and was single for most of his life. He got remarried in the eight, in 1980, I think. Wow. But. Um, he just is and was the dancing man. Hey, really, he's a dancing fool. That's what he is. <laughs> His looks, we'll start there. Sure. Because he never looks young, in my opinion. <laughs> we, we covered the film last year. Uh, I'm sorry, last week. Uh -huh. And it was like when he, one of his earliest roles yeah. he, was, he was supporting. Yep, yep. He, he looked younger and smaller. And I noted that he looked younger. But even right. watching these 1935 films, yeah. the 36 he always just has an old man kind really of face. He really does. But he's like goopy. Yeah. 
He's got a goopiness to him, and just a flappiness. Yeah, and it's yep. like this guy was was born for this. <laughs> born to dance. It's like you look at Shaq, and it's like that guy is basketball. This guy's <laughs> meant to hold a basketball. And you look at Fred Astaire, and it's like there's nothing else this guy could do. But that, that's when when people were flirting this idea of a Fred Astaire biopic, uh, and 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 Tom Holland, no less, being the the choice. I Shameful. I just can't. I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little heavy. Shameful. <laughs> uh, I just could not imagine anyone filling this role just because of how unique the physicality is. Uh, Who's, uh, I think, the singer Pokey Lafarge? Oh, maybe, yeah. you kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but other than that, I goofy, think... Goofy-looking dude as well. I, I, exactly. Yeah. I think we are going to get a Fred biopic. It's not... That Tom Holland stuff is not real, right? Uh, I, I think it's real, but I think it's all up in the air. Okay. Uh, so I hope it does. Oh, just like Uncharted was for nine years um, <laughs> with Tom Holland. I'm assuming it's going to happen, especially since some yeah. of the rights are up. Sure. With him, I forget what they're called. The copyright rights. Uh, or something sure. With the family uh, enter into uh, public domain. Right. Yep. So I think that we are going to get stuff. I hope that they actually try to get someone like. Just go out of Hollywood a little bit, much mm. like a Dominic says that for the holdovers. Yes, uh, get someone in Broadway. Get get a dancing talent first. I would say yeah, is, in- is my best recommendation. I, will that happen? I probably mm-hmm. not. You know, God, what I mean? God knows we're just talking a couple mics here, <laughs> right, and, right. and we hope that people listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, right, right. This that's is good history here. Even that's not guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I think um, for me, Fred Astaire always looked like those old pictures that get colorized of like the Great Depression where these children <laughs> in these no no when you look at these old pictures children look older like children look like they've yes. been through some shit yes they look like very small adult yeah. people yeah so when it comes That's to Fred I mean I don't know maybe malnourished when he was young in the <laughs> you know in, in 1910s it's I don't know uh, <laughs> he's an interesting looking dude but I find the charm of his dancing and I, I don't know I'm obviously coming very biased because yeah. I'm a huge fan I feel like he's able to overcome that in some way, so much so that when he's next to some other comedic talents or musical talents, he actually seems like the more charming one. I think mm. him next to Bing Crosby is no. perfect. <laughs> no, no way, no way. So, <laughs> would you like to it's revisit impossible. your? <laughs> would you like to revisit your hot take on Bing Crosby that you think he would make a <laughs> one year early? Because I've been listening back to my old reviews now. So one I... year earlier, if <laughs> one of the one of the qualifiers, if James Bond was one year earlier and made ten in the years. states, ten, ten years. Okay. And made in the States, Bing Crosby would be the first choice. <laughs> you know how ridiculous it's that is. So would ridiculous. Be. And I'm coming to He's this. such an orator. Like, he's, he's such a not James Bond. So, folks, if James Bond was made in 1950, if Dr. No came out in 52 okay. instead of 62. Yep, yep. And it was made in the States, and for serious, not like the early Casino Royale they did. Sure, sure. I think that Bing Crosby would have made a, a good Bond. A good Bond for the 50s. Yeah, all right. I'm saying okay. he's going to be like, you know sure. what I mean. For, yeah. If we're in that time frame, I think he would have made a good Bond. And I'm sticking to it. I, I agree it's ridiculous. I love that. I, I agree it's ridiculous, but right. I still defend that position. It's, it's a very unique hot take. Uh. Fred Astaire having more charm than Bing Crosby? Absolutely not. Uh, Truly impossible. Uh, well, that's, that's, the, that's the two sides. But I will say, I'll make one note, though, which is, like, no matter how goop, goopy he looks, <laughs> this is what I love about this era or when, like, musicals were like this were made. Mm-hmm. You have just flamboyantly dancing men. Right. 
who honestly still seem manly. Sure, they're manly sure. in their own way. Right. They have like this, this, I don't know, they do have like a male energy kind of attraction on screen with their what a female right. counterpart yep, that's yep. like buyable. He still mm-hmm. seems like the coolest guy in town, <laughs> but it's just because he has light shoes on, you know? Right, right. It's, it's impressive because I don't think it could happen today. Right. I don't uh, really know what's a manly man today either. But. Sure, and I, I think some of that gets slung uh, at Fred's long periods uh, uh, of being single, for for instance. Right. And some of that, you know, just being around, you know, him being a dancer, a tap dancer. But, yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of these, he's, if anything, in a cool. slimy way, <laughs> he's, he's picking up girls and, you know, much younger than his age. So. <laughs> but, but he's yeah. cool. That, you know, the cool factor is alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then on top of that, you look at the movies in the 30s, you know, what he's starting out with, with RKO Pictures. There is such a degree of, like, everyone's in tuxes. Mm. Like, dress to the nine. And it's just, I don't know, there's a... Uh, it, it makes me question two things. One, what was the actual reception of the layman going through the Great Depression <laughs> and <laughs> and seeing what's on screen? You know, what 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 was the actual dialogue there uh, among the among the masses? And two, was it really that like ritzy? Well, I mean, really, was it was it a the, the fantasy that they sell on screen? I, I, you know, I, of 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 really just rich performers being flown all around right. and just dancing at the, in ballrooms. And that's you know? why, and you hear about the like the old golden age of Hollywood and yeah. the amount of expensive or, or expenses on partying and a, and mm, a completely, right, right. you know, the, the birth of Hollywood yep. and, and just what that entailed. But then also you look back at old pictures of like, like Ed Sullivan and the, in the sure. Ed Self Sullivan Theater and people doing shows back then, even in the 50s and 60s and mm-hmm. people wearing suits. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, maybe we're just losing it as a society. <laughs> we don't more, got suits. More and more slowly. Uh, yeah, dressing up was just a thing you did. Even going yeah. back recently, watching The Sting, okay. which takes place in the late 30s. Oh, all right, all um, right. I love how trashy New York does look. Yeah. Or yeah. how the streets look. Yeah. Because it probably was like that. But still, people actually were wearing, like, three-piece suits, at least. <laughs> or right. wearing vests constantly. <laughs> right. There was an effort. They just exactly. Yeah. They just have nothing else to wear. What? Like you get you one suit and that's it. You know, it's yeah. Uh, well, I, I I think there's a lot of enjoyment uh, in the time capsule element uh, of these films for right. sure. Uh, especially just I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't speak for all cinephiles, but I know for myself that. Uh, there is a base level satisfaction in knocking out something that's nearly 100 years old. Uh, that oh, being a cool. point of fascination of just like, wow, let me let me see if I can learn something here as far as filmmaking techniques uh, or appreciation uh, of anything. I know. You know? So. I've been thinking about that a lot just because you know here we are in 2024. Mm. And we're getting to the point where, you know, sound in film, in America film, was basically 100 years ago. Yeah. Especially yeah. towards the late 1920s. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, we're finally getting there. We're finally to be about 100 years. Yeah. It's funny to think how long ago the mid-30s are, but technically there are people alive in their 90s and 100s that might even still remember seeing mm, this kind of sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, which is also cool to think about that we're really only kind of one generation, one life away mm. still just from these early pictures. Right, right. And there's something still connectable there. There's Absolutely. something there tethered to at least 
something. I feel like when you're over that hundred year mark, mm. things change a little bit. Perspective changes. Yeah, you yep. have to lose that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and if I'm going to make an argument with this special, folks, it is in that there is a timelessness aspect to all of these, and it is through the conduit of Fred Astaire's dancing. These this dancing would be akin to if there was action movies back in the you know the 1930s. If that action held up, if uh, the martial arts or the choreography of those sequences held up, uh, that would be where I'm coming from with these Fred Astaire sequences. Yeah, we don't have dance movies now like this or musical comedies uh, as they were almost a dime a dozen. Right. But when it comes down to how these films hold up a hundred years later, 90 years later, uh, it, watching them, the dance doesn't age. The dance is yeah. the action. It is the the momentum in the story. And though everything around it can be, I mean, some of the jokes in these old films are like, hey, you got you got cuffs on your trousers? You know, they're like really old. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, the actual performances themselves, that is what time, the that, that's the, the timeless. The talent is real. Exactly. That's, yeah, exactly. And that's why I think it's worth studying and certainly why I am such a, a huge, huge fan of Fred Astaire. Yeah, so. it's just a joy to watch. Yeah. Uh, so I watched two of these. Okay. Uh, which is pretty good, <laughs> I think. <laughs> And so let's get into it right away. Like you said, we're not going chronological as far as when they came out. Let's go from basically worst to best. Sure. You want to start with the honorable mention? Absolutely. Yeah, go for it. So, uh, folks, our first honorable mention, and really our only honorable mention, I should say, is uh, the movie Blue Skies from 1946. Um, And a la our Godzilla episode, this is going to be something that I'm just going to cover real quickly uh, just to move on. Not that it was necessarily lacking a full review, uh, more so is just a necessary piece in me kind of understanding things. Um, This movie was the only outlier, being something I put aside last year because of its potential for the special, and largely that it has to do with it being solely our only Fred Astaire film in the 1940s for the episode, uh, for the special. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also gives us a a nod to the collaboration Fred Astaire had with Bing Crosby, Tom's favorite. (laughs) (laughs) The movie is structured as a love letter to uh, Irving Berlin, a master composer of the early 1900s that we have touched on in the past for Fred Astaire films, and we'll touch on again in this special. But in that, it's more about his songs, and a variety of talents, paying their respects to the man, uh, despite him living to 1989. I mean, this dude was old. Yeah. This dude was old. The standout segment here is putting on the Ritz, of course, which uh, stands to be kind of an upgraded version of Fred's routine in Top Hat, both written by Berlin and, uh, of course, something that we will cover later on in the special. Uh, Still a wonderful solo spotlight for uh, Fred Astaire, but pretty much the only one we get in the whole film. Actually, you know, Tom, this might be something to revisit when we finally cover White Christmas eventually mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the songs and how they're performed here match almost to their entirety uh, what we see in White Christmas uh, and sharing that composer as well. So still worth your time for a watch, still gets a rating, but moving on to the real highlights for the special, we're going to go ahead and give Blue Skies a 70 on the dot. Oh, se- Ooh, we're starting pretty good this Ooh, week. Pretty good. I didn't think you were going to rate that one this high. Uh, I, Especially because you... You had talked a little bit about this one pre-recording. Yeah, it it, and... it also kind of 
isn't a movie movie. It's it's like a collection with some narration over it. But that was just kind of a styling back then. We covered Zigfield Follies uh, not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, maybe actually about two years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when it comes to that, sometimes these musicals uh, back then, they were just playing with the format. Or maybe they just didn't know the rules, you know. So. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, making their own rules. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter at that point. Uh, yeah, I went on and just watched Bing's numbers, essentially, for this one. <laughs> right, Bing right. Crosby is up there. It's funny. I never compared him as far as, like, Bing's my guy and how I feel about him is your Fred Astaire. Mm, okay, I'm sure. Also, Bing is right in line and, and equal to Frank and Dino for me. Mm, okay. That's how I – very high regard. Very sure. high regard, like the guy. <laughs> very high regard. Uh, Great James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go ahead and jump forward. Now, this is our true kind of essential film here. We have five for this Fred Astaire special. And we're going to jump to 1953. This film is called The Bandwagon, directed by Vicente Vicente Minnelli. So get into it a little bit. Set the film up. And why does it deserve to be a Fred Essential. Yeah, so uh, the bandwagon, very late in, in uh, Fred Astaire's career, or at least latest uh, from what we are covering here in the special for these five films. Vicente Minnelli worked with Fred Astaire back in 1945 on Ziegfeld Follies, something that we covered on an old episode of the podcast if you want to check it out. And honestly, let me say, folks, that I'll be referencing a lot of the previous films that we've talked about on the podcast of Fred. That's that's where I'm coming from in that I liked the breadcrumb aspect. I like the I have the paper trail to show the different pieces of his career without necessarily highlighting these little pieces yeah. that aren't, you know, essential right down to the name. The songs were written by Arthur Schwartz and Howard Dietz, uh, who wrote the original Broadway play back in 1931 by the same name. So we have a very late rendition, especially when looking at these Broadway to film turnarounds. Sometimes it's within six months for these old films. So this is a very late adaptation. Assisting Astaire in the dance choreography is the legend Michael Kidd, who will go on to work on huge musical projects like Guys and Dolls in 1955 and Hello Dolly in 1968. It's fun, Uh, not a household name. Yeah, probably easily should be or could be. I mean, that's going to be a repeat for a lot of these names because when you research them, it's kind of like, how do we not know about these people? Especially when it comes into the lyric composers. And and just because, and there's less people in the industry back then. So the crossover... Is huge. Oh, right, right. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, even doing like uh, RKO Pictures research mm. a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, that's really where the film studio that Fred, they kind of picked him up and, sure. and ran with him a little bit. Yep, yep. Uh, but like Howard Hughes ran that. That yep. was what did King Kong and, and, um, get one of the bigger ones as well but then just like went failed so quickly and then got bought by like a rubber company yeah RKO picture it's just crazy it really is wild yeah the uh, the boom bust uh, of, yeah uh, especially in that time transition from talkies and whatnot yeah. and uh, yeah but just the connection of the big names in the industry that stayed in the industry and yeah. worked together and everybody just it's it's kind of funny. Yeah, absolutely. Just doing research on these films. And, and and really, just a quick side tangent. With if folks, you maybe don't have an interest in the business of what that early cinema looked like. If you have any interest in the movements and the drastic movements sometimes of the early video game industry, it's kind of parallels each other uh, yeah, that as far as who's falling, who's surviving, mm-hmm. and, and and that being a fascination point as well. Uh, I would say, interesting enough, uh, being the la- the latest film in this special, Fred uh, really plays a washed-up performer who 
had a movie star career, but uh, is looking to get back into his theater roots. Coming back to New York to star in a new musical theater production by a prestige director played by Jack Buchanan, uh, he finds that he might not be the best fit for the magic rhythms of uh, of Fred's legend. Uh, The story becomes a a bit meta with this, staging Fred as a Hollywood relic, uh, much like his real life by the time 1953 rolled around. Sid Charisse plays the current hotshot ballerina working on Broadway and is awkwardly paired up with Fred's performance in a play not suited for either of their talents. They bond over the train wreck of the production and how it's looking to be, uh, they turn it around to create something that is true to themselves and what the masses really want, a feel-good musical comedy. I would say the first half of this story is a bit pulling teeth. It's not exactly enjoyable to see Astaire beaten down, and so much humor is based off of the crackpot ideas of this director making a musical comedy into something it was never meant to be. I would say the turnaround of the story allows for the second half of this film to be packed with musical performances as the play drastically transforms uh, from an artsy theater experience to a rip-roaring variety show. Uh, and and I, honestly, I think this is where this film has a lot of value as a musical. Even on a rewatch, we get some truly great performances from everyone involved. And though audiences' eyes are on Sid, uh, Sid and, and, and Fred, supporting performances from Nanette Fabre and Oscar Levant are really solid as well. In fact, the American Film Institute ranked this number 17 on their list of best musicals of all time, which I found shocking okay. in, in research of this. So. That's very good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, yeah. right. Uh, as far as uh, how I want uh, some of these reviews, or uh, rather all these reviews to be structured, is it is about the dance. Just if we were, we were going to do an action special, I would say, hey, these are the <laughs> segments that you need to see. This is, this is the jaw-dropping points. Uh, the time till dance, is, <laughs> the, the TTD, is what I want to focus on. And, and for this one, it's about 14 minutes in with an uplifting sequence uh, uh, called Shine on Your Shoes. All over this film, we get solo spotlight dance sequences Fred is known for. If there is really a trademark to Fred, it's these conceptual, playful solo sequences where he takes a dance routine and he elevates it by interacting with something or, or in, in, inserting some sort of visual comedy mm, gra- into it. Grabbing something from set. Right. He's very good at that. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's uh, a little bit of storytelling to it, but it's, it's more than just a dance sequence. I would say for the bandwagon, it's great because he's able to bring a lot of concepts and ideas to life, especially with uh, how late in the career it is. Uh, Something we'll touch on for all of these films, but especially his work in the 1950s, that the concepts get loftier and loftier and more ambitious uh, for that reason. Uh, This is a perfect example as Fred's character is finding New York to be very different from the city he left behind and using the arcade parlor as inspiration for his dance routine is what his later career is all about. Uh, this also features an early performance from Leroy Daniels as the shoe signer, uh, who will become a regular on 1970s TV like Sanford and Sons, uh, and is a great dance partner for, for Fred. Kind of one out of nowhere, but really, <laughs> really great to see them both on screen. I would say the main stretch of this film, there are plenty of wonderful music sequences, uh, but the next real iconic dance sequence from Fred comes all the way at one hour and 35 minutes into the film. 
might be surprising to hear that this gets a spot in the special um, this week for such a long gap between these kind of iconic dances. But I think it's important to recognize this dance sequence as one of uh, the biggest impacts on history uh, that Fred Astaire has had. The track Girl Hunt uh, casts Fred in a moody noir piece draped in a light gray suit that will be instantly recognizable as a doppelganger to Michael Jackson's legendary music video Smooth Criminal and is a direct inspiration of that. Okay, interesting. Um, this routine is meant to be a payoff of sorts for the play, so it's more of kind of like a West Side Story-styled interpretive dance sequence. And honestly, I think a little bit out of the wheelhouse for Fred, but I feel by... 1933, he's trying to push the envelope a little bit. He's trying to change things up. He's trying to do more conceptual type of dances. Yeah. I think it's important. It's a, it's a great climax for the film and plays nicely with the story, trying to push him out of the comfort zone, which kind of dials back the blazing tap routine and focus, focuses more on the narrative experience of it. There's a lot going on. It's about a 12-minute clip. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a 12-minute scene, so there's a lot going on. Yeah. And... What the thing that stood out to me when I watched it was how good it looked. Sure. And the feel and vibe of it. It honestly, I'm watching this, I'm like, wow, this is fifty-three. Right, right. I feel like this could have been made in the early eighties. Yeah. And and I would have believed it. Sure. I was talking the other week when we were watching um that when we did the color of money and mm-hmm. we covered the hustler as well. How I felt like the hustler could have been felt like a forties or fifties movie almost. Mm, right. You know, I think it was made in the early sixties or something. Yep. And it's not just because that was black and white. It's because it's just also how it's shot, how the film looked, mm-hmm. uh, set pieces, yep. just the way things were kind of set up. Watching this almost feels like stepping literally 20 to 30 years in the future. Sure, sure. So as though you're not getting this unbelievable dance sequence, mm-hmm. you're getting a choreogra- choreography kind of 12 minutes going through set pieces mm-hmm. and a narrative. And it very kind of cool to see. Mm-hmm. It was just great. The crispness of it and the way it all unfolded just... Felt great, looked great. That's great that you you uh, experienced that as well because that's kind of where I'm coming from with this timelessness aspect. Not only is the visual language on screen not going to change much from a modern Broadway adaptation, right? Yeah. On top of that, as well, you're seeing some of the greatest performers to ever do it right. on screen. <laughs> so that's the opportunity here, you know, uh, and and hopefully that kind of again adds to. A very understandable fear in watching old movies. That's going to be boring. It's right. going to bore you to tears. But I- I'm telling you, with these dance numbers, that's the juice for the squeeze. Mm-hmm. That's what you're there for. Uh, and you'll find appreciation uh, around it as yeah. well. Uh, I would say, honestly, without this Girl Hunt segment, though, this movie really might not make the cut. Uh, I think it's a great sequence that surrounds uh, that is surrounded by a fun musical comedy with a lot of standout talents, but it's really for that impact, the, the, the ripple effect of this single dance sequence into Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal that kind of gets a second lease on life, mm-hmm. a half-life mm-hmm. to it uh, in recognizability on screen. Uh, I would say, in line with ranking this as one of the best uh, musicals of all time. I don't know if I would go that far, but I would say it's certainly well worth your time, and and there's just so much to love around it, even though this might not be the strongest for our boy Astaire directly. Uh, the bandwagon gets a 74. 74%. Yeah, I mean, really what these are, these are all good films for sure. Yeah. It just goes from good film and just up and up from there. Right, right. 74%, um, very, very good score. It it does have uh, a very high praise, mm. and just watching it a little bit, uh, it's I kind of like it sitting at a seventy four more mm. because, like I said, even that 
that piece that we were talking about towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. It is not a rip roaring mach- yeah. machine gun <laughs> dancing, <laughs> right? You know right, I mean? that it's, you would expect from him as it, well. Exactly, it is definitely a little bit more of a play aspect, more choreography. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, but it's different, yep. and it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ben. All right, so that's 1953 with Bandwagon. We are gonna jump to not, jump pretty early, which is 1935. Yeah, and at these mid 30s, this is when Fred started getting lead roles. Yes, right. It was more so very late 20s or early 30s supporting. Yep. Because uh, it's definitely off Broadway now, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and here he does kind of I don't know there there is a shared lead yeah. a little bit with it, uh, but this is only his fourth film. By yep. fifth film, we're in that full stretch that he's now the full leading man. Right, right, okay. Uh, this film, 1935, it's called Roberta, directed by William A. Sider, and again, same deal. Let's get into it. What are some of the dance numbers, and why is it in this spot? Uh, well, as the only you know fourth film, like I just said, it's the earliest we will cover for the special. With that earliness, uh, <laughs> it's also sponsored by the NRA. Uh, yikes. <laughs> I don't know what that's really? about. Yeah, yeah. Is it the same NRA? Uh, I think so. I think so. All my research. Huh. So <laughs> they had skin in the game with it. Directed by William Sider, like you said, Tom, an early talent in cinema with over 150 films ranging from 1915 to 1960. Wow. I mean, wow. the that's also my curiosity when covering old films. Like, these dudes were machines like maybe there's lack of quality in that but there's got to be something good as well yeah it's the way some films got made early early on as well Mm, this is how john wayne was in 250 films Mm, because mm -hmm. he was in 80 Mm -hmm. or more than 80 before stagecoach before 1939 which is the film that brought him into his persona proper light yeah it took him 80 films to get there right Uh, but a lot of old films it's funny to think you would think it would be expensive it's a new technology right right just making the cameras producing film Mm -hmm. reproducing it for screens distribution Uh, the b market film industry was huge Mm. and not many people saw these b films most of them are destroyed by now yeah but they're often they were often called uh like three-day pictures or something like Mm, that okay and you would make a a whole movie in three days sure and that's what a lot of these films in the 20s and early 30s were very interesting which is why you can pump out for directors two or three a year yeah for actors five or six yeah yeah. sometimes acting in them absolutely and we'll even run into that with rko's production of of fred astaire's movies you know because william a cider i was again a name i was that did not spring to life for me but then to hear he did 150 films (laughs) it's crazy (laughs) right and his first films were in 1915 so he's 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 Old. In that transition yeah. of, of talkies and whatnot. Because, so. yeah, we, our earliest, the oldest film we ever did, was that Battleship Potemkin? I think so. I Is think that 1919? That, that has to be. I mean, uh, I you fr- covered some old, you covered The Laughing Man. Yes, uh, The Laughing Man, I also... Vampire. Oh, right, right, yeah, those horrors are, I would say, are the only chance that it gets older because... I feel like horror could maybe translate as kind of semi-scary. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, that end was very European because back then, really, it was – America was not big in – they were like fourth or fifth in the film industry yep, yep, as right. far as size when you are in the teens. Uh, German and French uh, primarily right. uh, were the, were the uh, Russian shots. as well. Yep, yeah. But um, – 15 years old. 15 years old. <laughs> yeah, he, anyway, anyway. He gets it. So by, by 35, he's, he's well, in his, uh, well in his groove. <laughs> right. He's, he's, he's working. But, uh, uh, I would say the only other time uh, he works with Fred Astaire is 1942's You Were Never Lovelier. But other than that, he stays, he stays clear. Um, I would say this film is an adaptation of the Broadway show of the same name with just a two-year turnaround uh, to get on screen, kind of what we mentioned with the, with the, last, uh, the last review. 
largely this is because the story is filled to the brim with smash hit songs at the time, including Smoke Gets In Your Eyes, I Won't Dance, and Lovely to Look At. Um, the latter two, no, no, I'm sorry, it's Smoke Gets In Your Eyes and I Won't Dance, equally number one hits in the year that they came out. Oh, wow, so, okay. Uh, Fred is not only attached to these very successful projects, uh, landmark films as far as musical comedies, uh, on top of that as well, he's also probably one audibly uh, one of the most recognizable voices uh, back then as it's well. It's funny to think about him that way. Yeah, exactly. But it's true. Yeah. Yeah. As is the case with these earlier films, Fred Astaire is in a, you know, he's a traveling band leader that goes to Paris chasing after some performing gig. Like you mentioned, Tom, earlier, you know, this being only his fourth film, we see what we saw last week with Flying Down to Rio, uh, where Fred is in more of a semi-supporting role than rather his full lead that we're used to him. The real focus uh, of this is his best friend and manager, played by Rudolph Scott, uh, and he is visiting his famous dress-designing aunt and falls in love with her assistant. When that assistant is given the reins to Paris's premier dress designer, we see the two of them come together to make a smash hit. As the uh, country bumpkin, Rudolph really he knows next to nothing about dress designing, which puts him as, uh, at odds with both the industry and his romantic partner, uh, and really is mostly played for comedy. When I first saw this film, I was originally skeeved by this plot thread of making dresses that were less revealing or more conservative and kind of had me looking sideways at you know the production money here. Uh, but on this rewatch, nearly every female character makes fun of his sensibility, and it really is played more for jokes uh, that he's an outlier to the industry and you know doesn't know what he's talking about rather than be kind of a, uh, a moral thread in the film. Uh, Ginger Rogers still is Fred's partner in this mm. and is playing more of a comedic character than most. Uh, she is a charlatan with a heavy accent edging her way into French society. And music-wise, Irene Dunn uh, is a tremendous singing talent and shown perfectly in the classic rendition of Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. I mean, it really is wonderful. Definitely an older style of singing that we'll get with this. Uh, absolutely a powerhouse when you see her on screen. That's excellent. And, I, and it's, so, it, it's so not shocking that these two on screen, even going back to the last film that we covered, mm. you could see it on screen back then. Yeah. Where it's like, these two are it. Oh, like, sure. We keep these two together. Absolutely. And we've got gold every time. Absolutely. And, and that, that's what really results in that nine, I mean, it's a nine movie run mm -hmm. with RKO Pictures and, and Fred Astaire and, and, uh, Rogers. and Ginger Rogers yeah. are, are locked in with it. So. Uh, with this supporting role in mind, though, Time Till Dance takes a solid 25 minutes until we get some first real footwork here, uh, if you can even hold on 25 minutes. <laughs> this does pay off, however, giving one of our best Fred and Ginger performances that is wonderfully playful rather than the straight romantic spin we get in this era. The piece I'll Be Hard to Handle really blends everything that is great about this duo. Their chemistry is electric on screen as they build the comedic dialogue into the routine and is just looking like they have so much fun together. I feel like this is a standout dance sequence amidst great dance sequences all over the special. Yeah. I'll Be Hard to Handle, I feel, more than most, sells the fun 
in the partnership that Rogers and Astaire have on screen and why it is electric and why it works for so many audiences at the time and still works today. Mm-hmm. Dance-wise, this is a great example as well of the musicality these two are able to make within the tap routine, the tap adding and elevating the song so much, uh, a concept we will revisit for our top spot with, you know, of course, Rogers and Astaire, as it always is. I would say the next standout is about an hour and ten minutes in with the classic number one hit at the time, I Won't Dance, uh, alongside a great reprise at the very end of the film. Uh, I mean, just an incredible solo performance from Fred. Not quite at the peak of his spotlight dances where ideas are blended into the dance. This is still very early. But being this early, you can see him playing around with the conceptual choreography of it. Again, always kind of blending some sort of comedy into it as well. This also sports... Uh, some of the fastest footwork on the list, which is notable because all of these are already such a high level. Uh, I Won't Dance uh, is really, really some of the, the the lightning fast footwork he's able to put out on screen. So um, once again, like with all of these, even if you don't watch the film, watch it on YouTube. You know what I mean? The, the, the effect it's is overall yeah. the same. I would say it's it's 90% held up. Uh, yeah, it, it's awesome to watch. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that we're a movie podcast and a lot of people are just into film a little sure. bit more, yeah. it's cool to watch for film, you mm-hmm. know, and to, and to get the idea of, you know, what was being made even as far back as 35. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I will probably repeat myself multiple times this special, uh, I, I really do beg everyone listening to watch these two sequences on their own. When it comes to I Won't Dance, when it it comes to uh, I'll Be Hard to Handle. I mean, these are really the moments where, for my own watching, it clicked for me. And I mm-hmm. said, wow, this is no average performer. It here. feels special. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Honestly, I can understand how the jokes and dated elements of a 1935 film might not be everyone's bag. Believe me, I, I really do get it. But uh, if you're curious why Fred and Ginger were so well known, not only as a dancing duo, but a rom com powerhouse. I'll Be Hard to Handle is a perfect vertical slice demonstrating why. And if there is any doubt uh, to Fred's footwork, uh, I Won't Dance is one of many you have the delight to check out after the episode. We're going to go ahead and give Roberta 1935 a 75. 75%. Excellent. And I like that you highlight those two specific uh, numbers in there. Yes. I would be interested in going back and making my own music list Mm. just on my... On like a music app to listen to during sure, work or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, Blue Skies. I mean, I love Blue Skies. Right, And it was right. done so many times by Bing or Frank. They mm-hmm. did them. Yeah, that's, that's just the number pieces are kind of cool as far as just making your own playlist of a step back in time a bit. Yeah, and if there's any proof to the colossal hits these old hits were, yeah. you know, though they may not, you may not be hearing the original rendition of them, they are constantly being remade come the 50s and the 60s by the crooner type of singers, the Frank Sinatras, again and again. Yeah. It's funny. I never thought about how, like, besides White Christmas, mm-hmm. how actually not only are the number like the the songs that are representing the dance sequences right. are actually major songs <laughs> right, in right. the public at the time. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> so again, another window kind of back in time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's go on to our next film, kind of the third you have on the list. This is in the same year, 1935, yes. as Roberta, but it came out after. Yeah. So this is called Top Hat, directed by Mark Sandridge. 
and we were in our same RKO Productions, Ginger mm-hmm. Rogers type thing going on. Mm-hmm. What changes here, you know, in this 35? Like you said, it's kind of the pa- This is fully now starring Fred and Ginger. Yes. Not yep. really shared roles. Yep. So let's just get into it. Top Hat, how did you like it? Well, Top Hat is Fred Astaire's fifth film and largely considered to be his masterpiece, ranking second most successful after 1948's Easter Parade, which we, of course, covered on the podcast. Mm-hmm. This marks the third of nine films uh, with RKO Pictures produced during a four-year run. There's some of that uh, <laughs> maybe quantity over quality. <laughs> uh, where Astaire is partnered directly with Ginger Rogers, Time after time compounding their charm on audiences I feel like why this duo or at least in part why this duo has such a recognizable pairing uh, and such a grasp on audiences at the time is that they were probably bombarded with these pictures I mean nine pictures in a four-year run yeah it's kind of inescapable in ways uh, also just what you did back then. if you were an mm-hmm. actor you acted Right. You didn't have your project for the year. Mm-hmm. And you could on some productions and stuff, but you even go back to old TV yeah. in, the, in the 40s and, and well, in the 50s and 60s. Yep. The deals that you would, the contractors you would sign yep. is yep. for 35 to 45 episodes <laughs> right, for right. a show. You, you are know, not, ball and chain. Not, yeah. not six episodes or 13 or even 25 <laughs> right, like right. sitcoms in the early 2000s. Yep. It was just kind of what you did back then. Yeah, yeah. Working man. Absolutely. Very much. I mean, honestly, just I always think of a present day Nick Cage. Everyone mm-hmm. was a Nick Cage back, <laughs> the, back in the yeah, day. Yeah, for real. <laughs> for real. And Nick Cage is also such a fan of old films. It's probably where he's getting yeah. his playbook, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, director Mark Sandrich accounts for five of those nine films with RKO, without a doubt being our most rec- recognizable face when looking at a stairs career. He also becomes a link between Bing Crosby doing 1942's Holiday Inn, covered on the podcast once again, and our honorable mention for the special, 1946's Blue Skies. So a little bit of a link there uh, between him and Bing Crosby. Uh, we get a quick guest spot of Irving Berlin himself in the film, hmm. uh, adding to this classic element. Once again, writer of countless songs that would be considered true classics. Here, I think the crown easily goes to Cheek to Cheek, which has been peppered into so many other things, including the Green Mile and a personal favorite, Boss Baby, as well. <laughs> Uh, The legendary Max Steiner finally fills a musical director role here, equally a powerhouse attached to some of the greatest films of the Golden Age. I'm talking Casablanca. Mm. I'm talking Gone with the Wind. This movie is stacked with early, early talent. Honestly, that is a lot of damn prestige behind this film. So when people call Top Hat the best Fred Astaire films, I'm okay with that. Yeah, you're not mad about it. I, I think they're wrong, but I'm cool with it. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I think it's totally fine, uh, and Top Hat has the pedigree to really earn that that crown. In Top Hat, Fred Astaire plays a hotshot dance performer in London. The show, is, the show he is part of is produced by his wealthy friend, played by Edward Everett Horton. Uh, as an absolute tap dancing fool. I mean, this is where it comes in the goopiness of it. This is super where, goopy. Yeah, this is mega top hat. Yeah, <laughs> mega goop. Um, a stairs. <laughs> A stare wakes up his soon-to-be muse, Ginger Rogers, and tries to win her affection in any way he can. Their romance proceeds without a snag until a faux pas mixes up Ginger's understanding of who Fred is and who his married employer is. And 
something that uh, can clearly only be cleared up with dancing. <laughs> that's that's the arc from the film. <laughs> you know, these old films, they're, they're a lot simpler. Uh, the term <laughs> screwball comedy is something I had to familiarize myself with. You know, we came across uh, the... Uh, what what was the slasher? It wasn't the slasher. Oh, uh, splatter film. Splatter film. Splatter flick. Screw, yeah. Screwball comedy was a term or genre uh, that basically was the styling of rom coms back then in the 30s and 40s, uh, and it's what I always make fun of in these movies. The good old I didn't love them, but now I love them. Right. You know, what I mean that that's a screwball comedy. Apparently, wow, so. I mean I know the term, and I was just it's always just thrown out in modern day. Yeah, right. Just a dumb comedy. <laughs> sure, right. Like, back then it was maybe a praise. Right. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> I think why this ranks lower for me from what many call the very best uh, is in that old rom-com structuring. Uh, One Year Later and Swing Time has much better comedic timing and visual gags uh, that all outrank the type of high society humor pulled off here. This is where I was coming from and saying, like, what did the masses think of these, all these people in tuxes and whatnot, you know, in the Great Depression? <laughs> I think it was like, what, because not everyone was affected by the Great Depression. Uh, sure, you know I, mean? I, I just, I, I feel like it's a, it's an interesting disconnect uh, of what's going on on screen well, and not showing really the, the reality. Think about when you watch a Bond. Sure. And Bond goes to the lavish parties or he sneaks into, right. you know what I mean, to the ballroom stuff or mm-hmm. the, in the tux events. We're not there. We're yeah, th- yeah, true. sitting in an apartment with, uh, t- on a creaky table. <laughs> on a creaky t- table. Talking on two mics. You know what I mean? <laughs> so true. So true. We're definitely not in tuxes, folks. <laughs> I was going to maybe uh, ask Tom to, to rent a tux for the special, but you know, if we're not doing it for the daily ratings, if we're not doing it for the, uh, the Tom Daly. Donations are low. <laughs> maybe next year. <laughs> Nothing in the tux fund. <laughs> I would say the romance as well, while cute, is a little frustrating in its slippery plot of misunderstandings. You know, I get it's all lighthearted, but when something so simple can be cleared up with like three words, it be, it loses me a yeah, bit. And for I, sure. I think that's also what I hope to bring in kind of balancing. You know, this film has perfect scores across the board. Probably since the scores were written in the 60s or the 70s and then, you know, hacked up for the internet. Yeah. I'm telling you that this film is aged, and that's all right. Yeah. But we're not here for the rom or the rom com. We're here uh, for Top Hat uh, when it comes down to the the iconic dance sequences here. I wonder if this gets a boost because you have such big names, like all mm. of the names attached to right, it. Right, right, all of them. Is it just like, well, we gotta just, you know what I mean? There's critics at the time. There's new papers critics at the time. Oh, of course, and, and, of course. And some radio stuff kind of birthing at this in this era. Mm-hmm. It could just be almost a little bit of that. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I, and then I agree. that just carries through the decades. Absolutely. They're they're kind of swooned by the the production which is uh, I feel like it's equal uh, it, it's worthy of that praise but uh you know for sure uh, the, it, the it's age is going to show on age, this yeah. one. absolutely top hat out of probably all of the five uh, on this special shows its age the most really uh, absolutely Absolutely. Okay. Well, I have a note for a film for next film. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. With one exception, I would say I really love the character actor Eric Bloor uh, as one of the many faces rotating in these '30s RKO films. Uh, I would say something about this character actor, his lispy high society routine, gets a laugh out of me every time I revisit this film. And I really wish I I recognized more stuff he was in. He becomes a part of. Uh, uh, he actually becomes a voice actor in some some later animated projects, um, kind of some alt kind of Disney animated projects. Yeah. But um, he's not in a lot. Well, I mean, he's in <laughs> yeah, a lot, but a but, lot of that lower right. just 
who knows, you know? For the birds, as you would say, Vin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, he was uh, born in 1887. I, mean, I, I just, I really do love him comedically. I feel like he just works when he's on screen, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, the TTD on this one is eight minutes in with the wonderful song Fancy Free, performed by our main man, uh, and giving one of the earliest and all-time great meet-cutes for Fred and Ginger. Uh, him tapping on the ceiling and, and cracking the tiling, uh, falling into her bed is great. And uh, really just so early on, you can tell that the roots of the rom-com are born in these kind of musical comedies. It's cool to see, yeah. Absolutely. 40 minutes in, we get our title sequence, though. And Top Hat, White Tie, and Tails is no doubt the first mark on film history Astaire truly has. It is a fabulous demonstration that Fred's dancing goes beyond one styling, and rather he makes these conceptual solo sequences... Uh, show his real talent in a different way, specifically in a way that no one has done before and kind of rarely has done since. After absolutely killing his tapper team in this, uh, the backup dancers return to the stage for him to elevate the routine, and again, in these kind of these concepts, these ideas, and shooting them all down with, a, with his cane. Uh, this kind of uh, Tommy gun aspect is a great example of how Astaire often uses punctuation in his tap dancing in both musical and comedic ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, his taps are synchronized with him shooting down uh, the people and uh, when he goes into the Tommy gun it's all rapid fire it's it's just great it's just such a charming and you know and the visual comedy that is there just works so well top hat is something that is is parodied as the years go on mm-hmm, yeah. i have a very bad example but <laughs> one, i think i know what this is going to be uh, one that i will hopefully return to one day uh my childhood favorite batman forever oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you expect that? <laughs> uh, Jim Carrey as the Riddler, uh, of course, uh, pays homage if you <laughs> to, to Fred Astaire when he's putting the brain drain on uh, on his boss. So that, that's early Vin uh, fell in love with this long before I knew what routine it was tied to. <laughs> Um, uh, I would say there's only one performance to outshine everything else here, and uh, you know, musically, the po- performance of Cheek to Cheek is a is just a perfectly romantic example, being just as iconic, showing the pair of Rogers and Astaire, uh, if not being even more iconic in the song itself. Uh, I would say these three sequences are standouts, uh, and the reason why. Uh, I would say it's worth watching these films at all. And while Top Hat definitely shows its age a little more than most on this list, I would say it still should be celebrated for the timeless performances that are held within. We're going to go ahead and give Top Hat 1935 a 78. 78. Very good. Yeah, climbing up. All good movies. I mean, 78, as we say, folks. Always, um, 78's a very good, it's a very good movie. Yeah. That's what 78 Well worth means. your time. I feel like we might actually get some listeners that maybe we never actually had before. <laughs> sure. You know, yeah, who actually care right, about Fred right. Astaire. So need an explanation Yeah, so scores. you know, 78 is, is very good for us. You yes. know, when you're in the 80s, we kind of say you're in must-watch territory. Yes, absolutely. Uh, when you're over 85, I mean, that's true, you know, like, great, great, great cinema. Yeah. Uh, not easy to get in the 80s. So 78, a very good score for Top Hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if you're interested, folks, um... 
You know, check out those three numbers that Vin was just talking about Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And you can even see that the frequency of how many dance sequences or the spotlight are kind of increasing. And, and that's what I yeah. kind of wanted for the list rather than going chronologically. Excellent. Okay. So we are jumping from 1935 and we're jumping to 1951. Uh, I watched these next two films. Mm, so okay. th- these are the two that I watched. And uh, first of all, I like that we've got two 50s on the list that we like. Yep. You know, it's just <laughs> add, add in good stuff for the 50s. Yep. Love it. Love it. Yep. Uh, 1951. This is Royal Wedding, directed by Stanley Donnan. Mm. And let's get into it a little bit, Vin. Well, uh, okay. Here we go, because Uh-oh. now we're into some heavy hitters here, folks. Uh, these last two, I would say, are what you watch Fred Astaire for. And once again, it is primarily for the dance sequences held within. Uh, like you said, Tom, directing here, Stanley Donnan. Uh, and while this is only his second feature film of all time, he will go on to helm some of the greatest musicals in the coming years. This includes the famed Singing in the Rain one year later in 1952, mm-hmm. uh, a movie I look forward to covering next February. Uh, and in 1957, linking Fred Astaire uh, with the lovely Audrey Hepburn in Funny Face, getting a solid 70% when we reviewed it originally on uh, one of the, I think it was year one, Fred Astaire yeah. February. Yep. <laughs> You see what I mean? I like the breadcrumbs. I've done my homework. Uh, the the that, proof, you know what I mean? Uh, that The math test of this, I showed my work. You, you know? did, absolutely. You got a great score. <laughs> you even a towering inferno, which Fred Astaire is in. I mean, oh, right, right. Of that's course. on the site as well. Of course. Um, <laughs> no one's going to say anything. This Listen, God. I'm, I'm aiming to take the throne. I don't think anyone is saying they're the expert of Fred. Uh, anymore. Oh, you can take the. You I can, think I'm taking the. You can take it. You can take it. I'm usurping it. It's yours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and additionally, of course, uh, I, I would be remiss if uh, I didn't mention him continuing with Hepburn in the 1963 classic Charade, uh, which uh, kind of stretches out of the musical comedy, but definitely still in comedy. My focus on our director holds more weight than most, however, because where Royal Wedding might lack the huge musical hits of others on this list, it excels in its filmmaking. Hmm, okay. uh, in a moment, we'll talk about the technical marvel that they were able to pull off with a spinning room, but all over this film, creative set pieces are able to flourish with Astaire's late era choreography ideas. He's always able to do something interesting here, and... I really do think uh, uh, there's a great collaboration here between Fred and Donnan. Fred fondly spoke about uh, the routines on this film as ideas he had dating all the way back to the 1920s when he first started getting into dance. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, So it's really great to see these numbers come to life on screen and sets the bar even higher when no one was even close to beating out a stare. Mm, That's a good point. He really was, was a man... Chasing his own tail almost. He, <laughs> yeah. was, he was get the guy in first and second place. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes to, I think the expectation for these films again in in, in the in, in the bandwagon fifty three and this in fifty one. He's already kind of being cast as a little washed up. So why I love Royal Wedding so much is. Fred could have easily just been paraded out, do some tap, and everyone clap for it. Right, yeah. He is taking this and he's saying, no, I want to do what I've never done before. And by the 50s, the technical marvels he's able to pull off with with, mm-hmm. with Donnan as a director and, and other assistants in choreography, that's why this is the number two spot. Because it is the the epitome of these trademarks of Fred Astaire, where he's taking concept and his usual high caliber dance sequences and yeah. putting them together. 
It's so true too, because especially with like the spinning room scene, mm. it's like ah, we had to wait till the fifties. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm pull this off. Right. You know? uh, <laughs> uh, in royal wedding, I always said the royal wedding. It's actually just royal wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, we get Fred playing an older brother to his younger sister, played by Jane Powell. They both are leads in a performing company that get invited to, you guessed it, uh, the Royal Wedding in London. Uh, this takes place during the actual 1947 Royal Wedding of Queen Elizabeth, at that time just a princess, with Technicolor po- footage uh, pulled of the real event spliced into the movie. Mm-hmm. This wedding plot makes the movie much more romantic as a musical than a musical comedy that we're used to and and definitely for almost every other entry uh, in this special. But siblings uh, fall in love with partners during their time and our musical sequences are largely comprised of seeing their theater run that has a has a place during this wedding season. Uh, I would say right off the bat, I really enjoyed the Big Brother spin here a lot, and it avoids some of the creepy age gap you see in other Astaire movies at the time, him being 52 by this point. Yeah, Jane Powell, I think, is around 22-ish, right. 23. And so perfect as a sister, well, maybe not perfect, that's a pretty I'll, significant I'll, age gap. <laughs> yes, but okay, I need to make this note, though. Sure, sure. As, as much as I feel like Fred always kind of looks like an older guy, mm-hmm. now that he is a bit of an older guy, mm-hmm. because of his goopiness, his lankiness, like he's in <laughs> yep, shape. Yep. I, I buy him almost as the older brother to James Powell. Sure, yeah. There's like yeah. a 30-year difference, and yet I can believe that it's only maybe 15. Right, right. You know? Exactly, um, yeah. And Jane Powell, so young, by the way, she she lived until pretty old. She only passed away in, like, September of 21. Wow. Almost, almost got to see Doom Part 1. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> Out of left field, uh, slightly tasteless as well, Tom. But I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> but no, I think Jay Powell. It's just great, you know. Some of these people again. We we feel like these movies are so old. Uh, sure, sure. Lost still, to time almost. But, but they're not. Still, and exactly, they're yeah. not. Um, mm-hmm. By the way. Uh, Fred's romance in the film is Sarah Churchill, yes. um, an actual daughter of Winston Churchill. No way! The third kid really? and like, second daughter to him. Oh, wow, yeah. wow. Uh, and I'll say Sarah Churchill uh, plays an age-appropriate love interest here. Um, you know, really works to a realistic romance. I think she would be 37 at the time from uh, my calculation. Okay. The only thing lacking here are these uh, romantic dance numbers, uh, which is understandable for audiences wanting that out of a Fred Astaire movie. Uh, so I, I get that, but... Not having Fred paired with a a romantic powerhouse that is also a dancing powerhouse. I mean, it's it's what all the movies chase that aren't the ones where he's paired up with Rogers. I feel like maybe you would like that more because since Jane Powell playing his sister, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's the dance duo here. Yes. And I don't know if you enjoyed that more or it got us out of the I didn't love him and now I love him type thing. Sure. Even though the the story kind of surrounding this was <laughs> I didn't love him and now I love him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if it if it escapes it entirely, but I feel like where Royal Wedding maybe ranks lower among critics, uh, you know, appreciators of of this type of movie, yeah. uh, is because they want that uh, kind of direct link between romance on the dance floor and romance, you know. Period. Right. Okay, that makes so. sense. A quick note before, and then you can just run with it. Mm. Though I alluded earlier where a film kind of reminded me of Fred's real life a bit, mm, yeah, and it, yeah. it, it's this film because it it's so integral to him and his sister doing this act together yeah, yeah. wrapped up in this production and in real life right once when they started going in in um, productions 
they went off to England and they worked a lot in England. Oh, really? And I think before, and that's how she met a lord who wow. she ended up marrying. Wow. So England was kind of their last stop after doing some Broadway stuff, or they came back briefly until she split off and kind of retired Very from that. And Ed kept on going, or yeah. Fred kept on going in uh, New York and pictures and stuff. I, and absolutely matches the arc of the story as well. <laughs> exactly. So it was enjoyable. I'm glad I did the research pre before yeah. watching it. I was like, this is, this is kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say, uh, last note with just some of the age aspect, uh, what I was happy this avoided with the older brother, younger sister aspect is even from our same director, Funny Face, while iconic, while, I mean, Audrey Hepburn is is stunning, it falls, list, you know, victim to that, no less six years older. You know, Fred's even six years older and then yeah. they're pairing that romantically. It's, uh, I don't know, it's a little bit of a gut reaction that I don't like it. You know? <laughs> sure. So I feel like that's, that's going to be the case in a lot of uh, modern viewings of that. So, you know, we are in the big leagues now, though, because time till dancing on this one is the very first scene. <laughs> The dancing, it's right there. Uh, giving us a performance with Fred as the movie star of a play, uh, or rather as the star of a play, not a movie star. Uh, the movie is uh, really chock full of wonderful performances, um, a, a real bang for your buck. And again, it's already tied to the musical theater run that they're doing. No less than 17 minutes in, however, we get what I would say is the single greatest solo routine Fred has ever made, in my opinion. The warm-up dance titled Sunday Jumps on the Ship Ride Over. Um, if you remember this, Tom, mm-hmm. <laughs> I referenced this in our Magic Mike review. I do. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, when it comes down to it, him, <laughs> why I referenced it in, in that movie, I think it was Magic Mike 2, or I'm sorry, Double uh, XL. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's using the many different objects in the room to dance around uh, and, and kind of create a enchanting mad masterpiece um fred that is you know maybe channing tatum depending on how you swing but, <laughs> you know, certainly equally enchanting in different ways <laughs> i i just uh, why i think this is one of the best if i really had to give it a number my second favorite yeah. uh, uh dance routine from from fred astaire i just love the storytelling uh that he has in this dance he proposes to the coat rack as his partner or rather his missing dance partner for the for the for the practice isn't strong enough to lift it and then the dance is training to get strong enough and it's just the best uh sunday jumps is a must watch on its own i mean it's everything that kind of blows your mind uh when watching this performer on screen mm-hmm. and, and and just seeing how much and how polished it all is that's the thing it's it's a very I'm not going to say it's simple, but mm-hmm. it's like you're not having multiple sets run through. Yeah. You know, it's not, there's not background or anything. It's mm-hmm. him with basically a few objects yep. in an empty room, but it's the slickness mm. and it's the smoothness that he's able to do it where it's like, oh, okay, I can see why this guy's one of the best or considered <laughs> one of the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's right here. Mm-hmm. It's a professionalism almost. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The Royal Wedding is known for its cinematography work, uh, most of all, however. And like I said, matching the technical advances to Astaire's concepts and ideas is a wonderful evolution of what we see in his dance routines. We see this in the swinging stage of the ballroom dance on the ship. The track Open Your Eyes is interrupted with a storm at sea, and Astaire and Powell fight the sway of the ship. 
This is probably not the the biggest uh, biggest technical marvel, but uh, it's cute. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, cute. It's cute. Uh, I mean, at, at best, it's like a really good Star Trek effect where like they're leaning <laughs> to the side. You know? So most of all, this is shown in the. The, the match between choreography and camera work uh, found in the rotating room made for the track You Are the World to Me. Uh, I'm not messing around here. This is a landmark performance in cinema history. Uh, this is an all-time great performance for me because it embodies what a musical is about. Not just a Fred Astaire musical, not mm, just a yeah. 1930s, 1950s, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It is what a musical is about. Uh, Fred wanders lovestruck and only when his emotions are at the peak, he springs into dance and song and also the reality kind of changes around him to illustrate the, that peak in emotions. Astaire and Donnan were able to make a rolling cage for the room where the fourth wall is fixed for the camera. Uh, the camera operator was then secured by an ironing board. I kid you not. <laughs> that was really fun to research. Uh, so that the illusion of Fred dancing on the walls and ceiling is created. I would say the ripples of this performance can be felt in music videos and technical wizardry behind the scenes still today. And Donnan, as a director, actually borrows the same exact method for Lionel Richie in 1986. Uh, of course, wow. uh, in the spirit of the dance that inspired so many videos. Um, that's identical to Girl Hunt uh, going into Michael Jackson. I feel like, you know, if we can't maybe connect the dots to post-70s, let's say post-60s, right, right. for where Fred is spiking, he kind of has this half-life that he's being referenced in things that we may not realize at the time, but are you know, very popular music videos or, or little homages to his songs or his singing. It's funny, like so that. much started it back then. Yeah. And, and he was able to just evolutionize, if that's mm -hmm. a word, just keep things going. Right. Keep, keep pushing it to where you just have to look at it and be like, okay, we just have to take it. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> he's the guy. Right. Yeah, he's yeah. already built up, you know, he's already built things three different times almost or reinvented yep. himself a little bit. Yep. It, it is an incredible scene. It's awesome to just watch. Mm -hmm. I was, can you set it up again a little bit? Like we sure. have a rotating room, but it's shot. It, to me, it feels like the camera, what is moving and what is stationary? Uh, the, the room is spinning. The room is spinning. And the camera and is. And the camera is spinning too, but it is fixed stationary to what is the real floor of the room. That allows Fred as the free, no strings attached type of thing I, uh, to operate and seem like he's right, walking yeah, on, yeah, and dancing yeah. on the ceiling then. So, uh, and, and I don't know, uh, when it comes to like production elements like that, uh, I think us growing up in the 90s, there was a lot of gimmicks and kind of technical stuff like that mm -hmm. being thrown into films. Uh, it, it's it's shocking to me how good it looks. And then on top of that, how much Fred is able to flourish on screen and, and still provide like a really amazing dance number. My yeah. expectation would be that the dance would suffer because of the gimmick. But we see the execution being, I mean, pretty much perfect uh, when it's, it comes to it. It's so true. The execution is huge. I think he gets it perfect. Now, a little mm -hmm. bit like it's, 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 oh, it's not 100% perfect sure. as far as like maybe a, some... Uh, camera jiggle. Right, right. Yeah, because it was on an ironing board. <laughs> right, but it's the fact that it holds up that good yes, still. The fact yeah. that it's that good, it's almost perfect, is the shocking thing. Yeah, because yeah. no matter what, you're watching this film, you know, you're watching a film from 1951, mm -hmm. you know it's just like, oh, they, they're doing it. They're, right. You know, there's no cheating. <laughs> right, doing yeah, it. yeah, there's, there's no CGI to cheat, <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, the closest thing they would have is probably like, uh, you know, like stop motion miniatures, you know, mm -hmm. Ray Harryhausen right. stuff. But right. No, yeah. 
just a, a standout segment, I would say, you know, the takeaways for Royal Wedding is uh, Sunday jumps, absolutely, and uh, you're all the world to me. Uh, I mean, really, just the standout segments. And like I said, there are a lot of dance numbers in this one, and... One of my favorites is when uh, her, him and her sister, where they got the New York accents. Oh, yeah, And yeah. they're kind of like ribbing each other. Absolutely. Uh, I love that one. Yeah. They're wearing bright yellow. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And apparently that's a play on kind of a Gene Kelly type of thing as well. Oh, okay. So, All right, cool. Uh, which is interesting. I mean, well, that I'll have to do the homework for. I don't know. We're getting into Gene Kelly now. So I would say all these def- dance numbers lifts the film out of a bit of a mediocrity in its romance plot. Uh, I would say it is the caliber in these sequences that this earns your attention. And even if it would just be a smaller collection of these dances, mainly these main two ones that I'm highlighting, I would still consider it a must-watch. We're going to go ahead and give Royal Wedding 1951 an 80 on the dot. 80. We are in the 80 percent, a great score. I've really enjoyed the movie. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised you watched this one. Why? I don't know. I'm pretty uh, sure you uh, said if you're going to watch them, you should watch this one. <laughs> Do I say that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think that... It's been a blur. <laughs> I, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I watched this one, I will say. Yeah. I, in fact, I mean, I only watched two of them, mm-hmm. but just where you're landing on them, you're talking about them, um, since I watched the top two, mm-hmm. this, I think, is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit really? there. Really? Okay, yeah, okay. I'm not going to give these Tommy Two Shoes, so sure. nobody get off the edge of your seat. You know? Um <laughs> Enjoyed both films, but this one I think just had a little bit more for me. I don't know really yeah. what it was, but of course we can get into our next film a little bit. That maybe so, back, I, I love the you know what you uncovered as far as the appreciation of kind of mirroring his mirroring his life. Yeah, I mean, definitely. no less down to even like the locale of where he was. And pretty cool. And, yeah, pretty yeah. cool. I, I agree with you too. Where it does take a step back when we get into the romances a bit. Sure. Uh, it, the film slows. Yeah, the film slows. Feels a little bit a little bit like a different movie. Yeah, and, and it's more so. I feel like it's missing the third head of comedy. I mean, there's some, like, kind of cutesy, funny moments, but it's... it's like, the you know, New York it, agent on the telephone? Like, just ridiculousness, too. <laughs> Do you know who that is? I don't know. That is the racist senator from Finian's oh. Rainbow. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, and then this one, he plays a ridiculous person <laughs> Yeah, he, he plays he plays the American agent and then the uh, his, his English <laughs> bro- brother. Yeah, and yeah. basically, the jokes are are essentially just them hitting them each other with like catchphrases and or turn of phrases. Yeah, it's very much like, oh, you're British and I'm American. Right. Yeah, you know? that's it. Yeah. Not, not for the comedy, but uh, again, I, I just feel like with all of these, the dance sequences, they're elevating the film so much. Yeah. Uh, much like any kind of, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to compare it to action too much because obviously that's a that's a ridiculous kind of take. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really is a physical performance in the way that you're seeing how it's meant to be portrayed, and also it's timeless because of that because yeah. it is the performer specifically. I love that, um, and I'll make one more note too with just this: Jane Powell. Since we don't really see her anymore mm. in this in this episode, I thought she was great in this role. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thought Jane. I thought she was really good and held her own. As well, and that Sarah Churchill, his love interest in it. Yeah, there's there's specific shots where she looks so much like Rosemary Clooney mm. from White Christmas. Yeah, yeah, George Clooney's aunt. Absolutely, to a point where I was like, oh, that is her. And I'm yeah. like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great movie. Okay, Royal Wedding, eighty percent. Vin, very very good. We have one more to go here, folks. Uh, we're gonna jump right into it. We're going back to the '30s. This is 1936. Uh, Vin, this is at the top of the list. This mm. is Swing Time. 
directed by George Stevens, and set it up a little bit, and why is it your number one Fred? Well, uh, folks, by my experience, this is the very best, uh, the very best Fred Astaire film, um, and I would say it's that because it is the best of the nine-picture golden age of Fred mm. and Ginger. Mm-hmm. You know, many uh, in the research of this, uh, throughout my appreciation of these films, many would point to Top Hat as the very best, but I feel like this movie overcomes the kind of frustrating romance in Top Hat and definitely the lack of comedic beats in Top Hat. Uh, Swing Time being kind of the best of all three in the pie of music, comedy, uh, and romance. Directing-wise, George Stephen is a bit of an anomaly, uh, covering a mix of musicals and dramas until he hard pivots into westerns for his remaining years. Uh, He goes on to reunite with Fred one year later in 1937's A Damsel in Distress, Not a stellar entry with us giving it a 66, but uh, the real notable entries later in life are his two Western classics, 1953's Shane, uh, stands as a landmark in depicting hero characters on screen, and even though watching the film, I don't know, we kind of found that to be a little bit lackluster. We watched it. (laughs) We were so excited, too. The funny thing (laughs) is, especially because, like, what we're finding... (laughs) You're finding that you may actually like westerns, right? Now, right. Some of the westerns we don't have too much cover, but the ones that are highest rated, I don't consider to be real westerns, <laughs> like Johnny Depp's Dead Man and such, yeah, the killing sure. of Robert Ford, whatever. Yep, yep. But <laughs> so watching Shane, you would think one of us is going to come out liking it, <laughs> right. and by the end, we just kind of get annoyed by the boy. Yes. The more I, the more I think about Shane, the more I love it. Right, in, right. In reality, watching it had different. <laughs> feelings right definitely a case where you you respect it but maybe yes. not like the most enjoyable I, watch i do think we need to give it another watch i don't think it's on it's not on the podcast definitely and it's not oh, on no. the website either right right uh maybe down the line we'll rewatch <laughs> it but i mean if the director's doing that big big time director right yeah big time director uh the the second in that turn to westerns is james dean's last film uh 1956 giant uh, which is something that I would like to cover come you know our Western month in mm. July. So, but yeah, big big time turn for our guy. Uh, for the music in this film, it shares the talent with Roberta and brings back Dorothy Fields, uh, an equal legend among the early influential music theater talents. Fields was part of the Tin Pan Alley crowd. Also, another thing I had to research. I I, I didn't know what Tin Pan, Pan Alley was besides like. Again, like a turn of phrase or right. something like that. <laughs> you know, this this group group of music writers were responsible for much of the music we hear throughout the 1930s and uh, is historic as one of the first female songwriters to make the jump and successfully to Hollywood. This film features the iconic track, The Way You Look Tonight, uh, winning an Oscar for Best Song, which Field shares with collaborator Jerome Kern. And once again, in the kind of ongoing theme of this special, the second life, the half-life that so many aspects of these movies have. Uh, This song, once again, has lived on to much other media, including Chinatown and Star Trek alike. The way you look tonight, it really is really one of the most iconic, and glad it got the Oscar win, even though... I mean, I don't know what's in the running for 1937 Oscars. The the smaller list. Not not as many awards go out there. Uh, Right, right. (laughs) Then 11, 10 nominees. Uh, Swing Time, I would say, works better than many of the RKO-era movies because each piece is so strong on its own. That certainly extends to the production talents, but I think I found the movie... 
is a perfect three-way split, like I said. The romance, the comedy, and the music, and, of course, dance sequences. Um, in the story, we follow showbiz and, really more appropriately, gambling addict Fred Astaire <laughs> uh, as he moves to New York with nothing but a top hat and his lucky quarter. The goal is gambling... Uh, his way into earning $25,000 to return home and win the affection of his wealthy sweetheart. By my research, $25,000 in 1936 amounts a little bit more than half a million dollars today. So <laughs> we're, we're dealing with a, a severe uh, degenerate gambler as <laughs> our main character. Yeah, talking about the hustler earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. I was shocked watching this film from that get-go to find him and his main kind of partner, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, male partner here, Victor Moore, yep. playing Pop Cardetti. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scumbags. Yeah. It's kind of slimy. Just a little slimy. It's what she's crew I know. in the beginning. Oh, the crew. I almost was annoyed. <laughs> I was like, yo, this is messed up. <laughs> like, this is, I don't know, why is this so lighthearted in a comedy? Right. I'm not enjoying this almost yeah. in a way. Um, but yeah, straight gray characters for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that's where I kind of enjoy it because <laughs> like, yeah. I, I like at least being surprised. You know, it doesn't seem like the typical characters written, you yeah, know. No, absolutely. Uh, and especially even within, like, uh, the these these RKO films like it's not the typical characters and I think that's why I enjoy it and I also think that's where it escapes some of the screwball comedy rom-com mm-hmm. stylings yeah. that uh, I think are a burden there's for something some else films. going on here a little bit yeah. you know and I think if, I, what I'm assuming too with this the comedy hits in a certain different way mm. because you're dealing with a more edgy character yep. uh, dealing with other edgy people a little yep. bit when you especially when you think about the gambling scenes and mm-hmm. things like that there's a little bit more to work off of yeah. when you yeah. have a character like this or two characters for sure even if you think about the screenwriting uh, you know the plot there's always kind of inconveniences thrown in. It's always solved by gambling. And I feel like that's just a good way to dig yourself out of a hole, keep pacing snappy. You know, I don't it know. It solves problems. <laughs> you solve problems both by dancing and by gambling. Yeah, in this. Which is just like so such a wrong lesson to take away from the film. <laughs> just make sure you have an ace of spades in your pocket at all times. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, as per usual here, though, he does stumble into a meet cute with Ginger Rogers uh, through her attempt to escape him. Uh, it does lead him to her job, a dance academy. Uh, the two are locked together from there forward, but have to balance this awkward issue of Fred's engagement as quickly he wants to earn less and less money to spend more and more time with his new love. As far as 1936 jokes are concerned, this includes making fun of suit trousers with no cuffs, calling World War I the only war, <laughs> which, was, which is surreal yeah. to, to experience. So don't get me wrong, I would say this dated element, if anything, my same critiques to Top Hat, definitely still here a little bit. Uh, But I really think the comedy works both in performances and setup of many jokes paid out throughout the film. Uh, The whole thing is, is... has a subtlety to its comedy. Uh, I really think the oddball jokes work here. This could easily be critiqued in that same type of screwball era uh, or what critics would call kind of contrived to it. Um, but I think the humor comes out a lot in varied places, most of all visual gags that are peppered throughout the runtime and made some of the, the funniest moments to the film. I really don't feel like it's all on the back of cracking jokes, especially when those jokes in the edit of these old films yeah. are always the last thing before the, t- uh, before the screen fades and we go into the next screen. Right, just we're just setting up one punchline. After another. Yeah, th- it's true, this, and this does, it is a sharper script mm-hmm. and wittier. 
for that reason. And to be honest with you, that's why, or another reason why I like White Christmas so much mm. is because of the script is so sharp. Yeah, yeah. And for this, it's there. It, again, this wasn't my favorite of the I did like Royal Wedding better. Sure, sure. Uh, but this did have a flow that felt different than a typical old musical. Right, right, exactly. And it's nice. Both from the depiction of the characters to how they're cracking jokes, you know, the supporting performances, yeah. the, the the foursome uh, of their crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, visual gags. I, I, I won't you know, over compare to something like airplane or something like that, but I feel like there was a an yeah. idea of just packing as much as in as possible and, and working in that it, way. Yeah, too. yeah, I think so. I would say performances are what holds up most, though. And in addition to Rogers and Astaire being charming, we do get two other supporting actors that make a solid back solid backup uh, to their routine. Victor Moore and Helen uh, Broderick are faces we see in other RKO movies of this era, but uh, here strikes such a a, a chemistry uh, bouncing each off each other on screen. Yeah. Um, Helen has the smarts to Victor's kind of dumb drunk routine, uh, reflecting their you know, both of their vaudevillian roots of the 1910s. Uh, and where other films I would roll my eyes at pulling attention away from Fred, here they add to this like misfit plot that. We're we're like degenerate gambling is the only way forward. Like, it works. Know, it works. It really the works. The foursome I think is almost key to the film. Yeah, and it's good that these two aren't almost. I don't want to say throwaway characters, but when you look at a royal wedding, yep. the love interest uh, were not strong. Right. You know, like right. they were not the strong part of the film. Yeah. This doesn't take away it adds mm-hmm. uh, having these two as actual strong supporting characters. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. And I think the payoff is pacing. I think it's a key factor to why this works much better than. Uh, I mean, if I'm being fair, in my opinion, uh, you know, the the other films, even within the special, you Mm -hmm. know, complications are always being thrown in. And while most of the time they're solved with gambling, it keeps things breezy. And before you know it, boom, right next to another phenomenal dance segment. Right, right. Uh, I mean, if you really view your skin in the game of watching these movies as only the dance segments, I feel like this movie stands above the rest because it's snappy. The pacing kind of, if you will, makes the medicine go down. You know, you're, sure, you're, yeah. you're before you know it, you're at that next phenomenal sequence. So. This one I was worried about, a uh, swing time that is, Yeah, I was worried about for two reasons. One we'll definitely get into in just a moment. <laughs> uh, but two, uh, because of my bias to this comedy. So I specifically invited someone over that, definitely not into these movies. <laughs> definitely not into these old movies, not into dance movies, not into Fred Astaire. And actually it surprised me of the comedic beats working. And most oh. of the time that relied to, uh, you know, to, uh, to Victor making a funny, funny voice or, mm-hmm. uh, or even them like uh, using a, a setup from the earlier film and then using that as part of their hustle right. uh, in it. But uh, I'm glad that that part paid off for me because uh, did I, you, did I, you let this person know they're being used as a test rat <laughs> definitely not definitely not <laughs> do i know this person no <laughs> so, uh, so as far as that goes that was that was an important factor for me because i really wanted to with this one specifically i mean i really do yeah, love af- this movie i want to overcome bias as much as possible and after so many freds oh sure sure that's the big that's the, the big the, thing the, you know the formula right that's exactly. the thing yeah yeah for the last time here, folks, time till dancing on this one is once again the very first scene. Fred is giving us some quick taps as he's leaving the stage. However, our first real standout is only 25 minutes in and shown in the terrific track, 
pick yourself up. I love this dance. This is the <laughs> number one dance sequence, I would say, in all film. Wow. Uh, I have actually, really? I, I love this dance so much. I have a a cheap, like, Hollywood picture of Fred and Ginger dancing <laughs> that, like, you know, you, you buy on, like, a boardwalk or something <laughs> like that. Uh, uh, you know, I would say in the semi trashy rankings of all these dance segments for the special, um, this is without a doubt number one. Uh, I feel like it encompasses. Sh- encompasses everything that there is to the duo of Fred and Ginger. And it's it's what I want out of that cinematic pairing. I would say the musicality and their tap dancing and how it evolves, the song is wonderful, the comedic setup, the dancing having some slight stakes to the plot, and most of all, the turn of hatred to romance, it's all perfection. It's what these dance segments, and specifically the romantic comedy duo of Fred and Ginger is all about. Um, and, and you said 25 minutes in. This is the one where they're just at her studio yeah, in the beginning. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's your favorite. Absolutely. I think touching and important, and it's you're, a great point of hitting. It's a turn in mm. the two characters' relationship and, and chemistry. Yep. Uh, I wasn't expecting that, though. I, I would say it's I like probably, it. I mean, I, I don't know for sure. We've actually covered a lot of rom-coms and looking back at some of the older uh, episodes of the podcast as well. I can't say what is a top meet cute uh, uh, for all of you know cinema, but this is up there because she hates his guts, but it's just <laughs> he saves her job through the power of dance, and mm-hmm. then they're amazing dance partners together, and it's just so it's so romantic in the sense that kind of everything is thrown up in the air, and and, and really none of it matters <laughs> anymore. I would say even down to uh, Eric Belor, uh running at the end is just such a funny little beat. Uh, and, and clearly was just the, you know them getting the scene back to the other characters, but I, right, I just love right. it. It's, it's just such a great, great sequence. I would say if there is one dance to watch, folks, either on its own or what I would encourage, definitely within the film, this is the one that you watch because I feel like it gets across what is the legend of Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. Uh, I, you know, mm, that's this a good is, way to look at it. Yeah. This is a an essential Fred Astaire special, uh, and don't let me take away from the equal, if not sometimes better talent Ginger Rogers was as a dancer. Everything that Fred is able to do, she is able to do within these nine films. On top of that, she's it, doing it in heels. In heels. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? what's like, most bad. This time period, all the all these dance yeah. movies, Fred Astaire movie, what, I mean, the heels yeah. <laughs> is what's I, shocking. I know. Uh, so while, of course, Fred uh, gets the opportunities, and we'll touch on this actually in just a second, of the opportunities he is given to become right. the star, mm-hmm. both by skill, but by by the the you know like the industry of Hollywood at the time. When it comes down to that, you know Ginger matches him in in yeah. every beat, and I feel like this is uh, you know if there's a singular dance sequence to point to, both for enjoyment, but also to kind of prove this point that she can hang with him. Uh, it's it's here, right here, and uh, and pick yourself up. So, now I would say there is a real blemish on what keeps this film out of a true must watch uh, above eighty five, as we've referred to, uh, and. Uh, 
on the website, uh, you know, all these scores have been posted already. Right. Uh, I still very much stand by this, but uh, there is a dance sequence that I feel needs uh, a little bit of context to understand where I'm coming from, and it's the dance sequence around Bojangles of Harlem. Uh, this is a sequence of a well-intentioned tribute to Bill Bojangles Robinson, a legendary talent famous from his own dancing in the Shirley Temple movies. Uh, despite an excellent spotlight choreography, frankly, the style that Fred has as a trademark, it's something that I have to cr- confront as unacceptable in modern day for the inclusion of blackface. Now, an early review of mine that I'm frankly a little proud of uh, tackles this topic, and it goes back to year one of Fred February when we covered 1942's Holiday Inn. Uh, On top of that production being later in years, I argued that the presence of other black actors in singing roles, no less, made the inclusion of blackface an awkward spotlight and and, and questioned why they would utilize it when they clearly have other performing actors uh, to fill that. Here, that is not the case. And while I don't deny the gut reaction to seeing the depiction on screen, uh, and one that I experienced with, and definitely experienced with this in this new watcher, uh, I still think it's important to understand the intentions of the piece. Um, this is a fun, loving dance number paying respects to one of Fred's inspiration. Interesting. Uh, and forefathers of theatrical dance Mm -hmm. with Bill Robinson working in dance troops as early as 1890. Uh, You know, I, by no means am I excusing the blackface being put into it, but I feel like between uh, the, the consideration Dorothy Fields put into this, the, what this meant for Fred to kind of pay homage to one of his ancestors from one of his yeah. uh you know early inspirations that's where the thought process for this blackface being included into it right. uh, comes into play like you said back then looking at it in the time in the time capsule that we're in back then mm-hmm. it was actually meant to be Kind of. It was meant a to be an homage. Tribute. Right, a tribute. Right, Absolutely. And Dorothy Fields said that uh, they wouldn't do it if unless they could do this sequence. Is so is that, isn't that funny? Yeah. Because here we and are. And how much it meant to Fred to pay homage to Bill Robinson, who is still alive by right. this point, to be <clears throat> fair. You know, he's, Have, it's not like he passed get quotes away. from him at all from the time? Uh, no. Um, he's doing uh, a lot of uh, musical work still, I believe, until 52, I want to say. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but honestly, uh, Bill Robinson... Robinson's is a is a target that I would like to cover for future Februarys as far as covering other types of dance. Yeah, projects. that's cool. It's just it's crazy that ninety years ago this is something done in back then. I mean, blackface even back then was um, satire in a in a not good way, like yes, an, an right. actual bad kind of bad faith satire. Sure. But the fact that this was accepted and actually a good thing to do, like right. it, the fact that she says it's it's funny how times have changed, mm. right? And and, it, and it's a you know it goes to what we always talk about watching in the modern day. This is a landmine for modern day watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so when it when it comes to that, um, in no way am I excusing it, but I feel like the context of what this meant for Fred Astaire as the performer doing it, yeah, is much more than when we've covered blackface in the past, which I think my reviews have been very balanced as far as trying to look at it and also recognizing that it's unacceptable, right, period. Right, exactly. You know? 
uh, it, it's interesting. And it, like you said, a landmine it is. But that's honestly just knowing that does change it a little bit. Mm. Again, not to mm-hmm. excuse it, but to put it into context and to put us back there in 1936 a little bit. Right. Because really the scene starts uh, one scene earlier where yep. you see Fred putting on <laughs> yes. the blackface. It happens on the sun. And I mean, <laughs> he jumps I, over a chair and starts lathering I, it on. And it's like, expecting. whoa, what's happening? I, mean, I was literally like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> It really was shocking, yeah. Because um, he goes from kissing Ginger, uh, and it's like this big, you know, comedic moment. It's very sweet, and then it's just like, all right, we're, we're going to up, going yeah. into war, <laughs> right? But good, I think that's a great, good to touch on it, and it is, it's a, it's a crazy thing. It's, sure, it's, it's interesting to watch, but right. then to have to talk about it too. Absolutely, when there's so much else going on in the film. Absolutely, you know, it's ninety years ago. It's tough to. It's tough to be back then, but also look at it now. It's, it's, it's sure, yeah, it's sure. Tough. And I'm speaking realistically. It, it, you know, in, in ways scares the shit out of me to talk about these concepts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, even going back to our black exploitation special, but I feel like um, in, in talking about intentions, what where I'm trying to approach this with is not excusing it in any way, but rather just trying to give context to why it was done in the first place, it, and yeah. if there were alternatives. I think in Holiday Inn's case, there are clear alternatives <laughs> right. uh, yeah. where it's unacceptable. So here, not so much, and, 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 and where it comes into play for the intentions of both Dor- Dorothy Fields for the lyrics of the performance and uh, Fred Astaire for the footwork. So... Uh, I'll, I'll end it with this. I would say Swing Time is a, a film that is sprinkled across many top 100 film lists of all time, including uh, AFI's, the American Film Institute. But uh, without the right context, might be a sour experience for the viewer. Again, this kind of landmine aspect for the blackface. Uh, and where I, I hope to broaden horizons a bit with the special is to illustrate how Fred Astaire is a figure in dance and cinematic history that is constantly having homage paid to him. But clear in this film, and if anything, through this Bojangles segment, in reality, he is one of many great turn-of-the-century dance performers on the shoulders of giants. Fred is not the first to do it. And in actuality, he may just be the only one to be given the proper spotlight Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. demonstrate his skills. Going into the 50, given the proper opportunities to take these ideas that all dancers probably have, all performers have inspiration for, and actually get an opportunity to put them onto the silver screen. His exhilarating tap dancing is just one of many on the shoulders of giants. And I feel like in that way, that's where swing time once again adds to this time capsule while also being fairly timeless, at least in my opinion. We're going to go ahead and give swing time 1936 and 83. And 83%, a great score. All of these are good scores, Vin. Yeah. Um, a doozy. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> uh, it, it's so excellent. You know, this special serves a purpose, which is why we're doing it yeah. as well. Uh, the time capsule back in the era of like that. Uh, time capsule back into that time, mm-hmm. and also really giving this guy a good shake. Yeah, he is really known as one of the best uh, dancers of all time. Certainly, the best film dancer of all time. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to really pick pick this apart and 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 weed through it a little bit. I love the callouts to the different 
dances as well. We can all kind of just go online and check them out if we want. Right. And if anyone who wasn't interested in Fred or wants to give him just a watch and see what the deal is, what the style of film was back then, mm-hmm. you have a great list here. Absolutely. Um, and like I said, I kind of liked Royal Wedding better than Swing Time. And sure. That's, and that's the best part about the podcast. You kind of listen through and which one would be good for me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Which one do I want to go through Absolutely. and sit down? Absolutely. It, it's awesome, Ben. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of homework. You went through <laughs> a lot of films that we've been leading up to this. You purposely kind of set these aside for for this purpose, but watching it through again, the note taking and everything, we appreciate you so, so much. Just a quick reminder, folks, you know, Vin and I are doing all of this going off of what we call the value for value model. So the daily ratings, we're not going to have advertising here on the podcast where we take breaks and pitch these products that we don't actually like, but we're paid to tell you that we like them. We take all our download numbers and we try to get more and more just so we can go to advertising companies and pitch that so they give us money, we show these products. <laughs> um, it, it, it's just, it's... It's not a great way of doing podcasting. Everyone is doing it, just about. And uh, we think it lessens the product. On top of that, we're not going to have tier structures. A dollar for you is different than a dollar to another person. So we're not going to do whole tier structures or payment structures. We're also not going to have any paywalls. You don't need to Mm. give us any money just to get some access to content. Vin and I, every week, sit down and we do the show. We host the podcast. We have the dailyratings.com, kind of the companion piece, our IMDb, our Rotten Tomatoes, kind of what we're doing, what we're setting up. It's all out there. You know, it's value that we're putting out. And if you're finding it valuable, if you're using the website, if you're listening to the podcast, whether you're checking in once or twice a month or whether you're listening to all five films every single week, uh, that's a little bit of value to you. That's a little bit of value in your pocket. Uh, We ask you, could you give us value back in our pocket? That's Mm -hmm. why we call it the value for value. It's V for V. You go to thedailyratings.com and you head to the donations tab, and that's how you can make a monetary donation uh, to us. It could be through PayPal or just through your card or through Venmo. We do Satoshis as well if you're podcasting 2.0 and into that. And when you donate, you become an, an actual legit producer of the daily ratings. So we'll put your name in the show notes. That's a big thank you. Uh, because just like in Hollywood, when you financially support a project, uh, you become a producer of that thing. So since we're a movie podcast, we think that's pretty appropriate. So <laughs> become a producer. When you donate, you can send a producer note in, whether it be through PayPal. You can email us at tom.vin at thedailyratings.com and send a note in to us when you donate. It could be questions, comments, critiques, random questions. It could be about anything. It doesn't have to be about film. Uh, if you have different ideas or things that you would like to see changed on the podcast, we'll take it in consideration. We've done it in the past. Uh, we could do it as well. It's, it's a through line to you. Um, again, it's at dailyratings.com. You head to the donations tab. Uh, show us what value you're getting and uh, become a producer. You know, it's, uh, it's an idea that people are starting to catch on more and more. Some more podcasts are also doing it. It's a great way to communicate. Uh, but also just kind of start a little daily ratings family here. Uh, we appreciate you all so much you have produced. We hope many will in the future. And um, and also, if you're not going to donate but like the show, hey, could you just get the word out? You know, get, get the message out. We're growing our numbers mm-hmm. slowly. And the more you guys kind of get into other people's ears or if you hear somebody bitching about Rotten Tomatoes or talking about that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's that's uh, where we love to be. Exactly. <laughs> get us in the conversation. It's where we want to be. So, again, it's dailyratings.com. Vin, looking at these scores, looking at Fred Astaire, do we have finishing up notes? Anything, Mm. any general comments about the man himself? Anything you want to finish on? Well, you got me thinking, if we had a sponsor, I don't think they would allow us to do a whole Fred Astaire special. So I'm I'm grateful (laughs) for that. Uh, They see that and be like, maybe we're we're not going to advertise on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Who? (laughs) Essentials of who? Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, like I said in the beginning, this is the epitome of what I want to watch. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Not that I just had interest in old films, but I have done the homework throughout the years. Uh, and for future type of essentials when we're looking at maybe one specific figure, whether that be an actor or otherwise, I really would like that when it comes to when we focus a month on them or, or a concept of it, that the podcast, all the previous episode, is a companion to that. So for any re- reason you're not done with Fred after this, uh, please give give our old episodes a listen because I really do stand by you know all the reviews on this and been taking this very seriously uh, as I truly do care about this. For the future Februaries, now that we're putting Fred aside, I really do still want to focus on uh, all-time dance performers. This is Gene Kelly. This is Bill Bojangle. Okay. Uh, the Nicholas Brothers and, and other dancing legends, whether they're even just kind of one-time uh, dancing projects. Right. So. Oh, is there another guy you want to add to that list, maybe? <laughs> no. no. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> who's, who's the other guy? Um, ben Crosby, but it's fine. He's not dancing. Bing Crosby, he does a little, he does a little <laughs> clippity clop stuff when he has right, to. He does. Right. <laughs> oh, he's clippity clopping. He's <laughs> it's true. He doesn't. He's not much of a dancer. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's kind of what I want February to uh, to become uh, in 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 the legacy of this project. I love that. So. Dedicate a film a week in February. Yeah. To one of an old school classic musical dancer. Right. Um, Singing in the a rain. Lot more, right. Guys and dolls. You know, what I mean these these are these are things that I I would never find time for in other places in the year. I feel like. That is the respect we can pay to res- to a stare. And titles that everyone knows. Yes. Like like big films in cinema. Of everyone course. knows the name. Right. The question is, are you interested? Are you not? Uh, how do they actually fare in twenty? You know. Exactly. In is modern it worth your day? time? Absolutely. It's awesome. So I love dedicate as we close the book on Fred to open a new book as far as just that genre goes. Yeah. And and there's something I mean just so deeply cathartic of of you know watching these movies and trying to really get heads or tails on what's the best dancing performance from a, an actor that I love so much. Uh, and, and you know, closing the chapter on that. I mean, it's 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 awesome. It's rewarding. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Vin, excellent, excellent work. I love doing these specials with you. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, this is actually you know, not as long as a lot of others, but it's a blast going through this. I love that this exists. And again, just for a, a consumable piece of content that people can always go back to mm-hmm. and say Fred Astaire, and then boom, we have this, this essential list. list. It's right. fantastic. Exactly. I love the work, Vin. I love the reviews. Thank you so much for putting this stuff together. Thanks for stopping by here tonight. Folks at home, we're going to run this down one more time. So... As an honorable mention, we have Blue Skies coming in with a 70%. And then we have The Bandwagon with a 74 Roberta with a 75 Top Hat with a 78 Royal Wedding with an 80 And Swing Time, um, ending things with a great 83%. Folks, thank you so much for listening to this special. We hope you enjoyed it. And like always, we are going to be seeing you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. <laughs>